All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, I will read till the end of the chapter. All right, yeah, 16. Paul writes, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." Well, last time we looked at the first five verses, of course, Uh, that section there called Christ Crucified, where Paul comes to Corinth and says, I resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's how Paul describes his own ministry to the the Corinthians, how he has proclaimed the gospel to them very clearly, very succinctly and very focused on the message of Christ and Him crucified. Now again, keeping this in context with the letter of Corinthians itself, Paul is responding, responding, as we have seen many times, uh, to the first concern that came from Chloe's household. Divisions in the Corinthian church. And Paul has laid out a case before the church that they need to stop looking at things within the church using the wisdom of the world. They, are, you know, they have this tendency to default to this wisdom of the world thinking on how they judge teachers in the church, how they judge those who proclaim the gospel using you know, whether they use the rhetorical flourishes of the philosophers of the age or whether they're gifted in speaking or whatever. They have this mentality of looking at things through the prism of the world's wisdom. But Paul says that according to the wisdom of the world, the message that we preach, this gospel message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, is foolish. It is foolish to the Gentile mind. It is foolish to the Jewish mind. Not only that, but the people of the the cross, the people of the gospel are also foolish. He says, look at yourselves. You look at yourselves and you realize none of you come from high places. 
None of you are among the wise. None of you are among the mighty. None of you are among the noble of this age. You are the leftovers. You are the refuse. You are those that the world looks at and kind of scoffs at. So not only is this message foolish, but you who believe this message are also foolish. And then he says, look at me, look at me the messenger of the gospel. I'm also foolish because I didn't come to you trying to win your, your, your loyalty through persuasive speech. I came to you just proclaiming this message. I am a herald of a message, and that is what I proclaim, and I don't use the wisdom of the world. So I'm foolish. I'm weak. I, am, I, am not, I didn't come to you in power of the world. I didn't come to you with persuasive words. And the reason he says that is because that way your faith will not be in me. Your faith will not be in my wisdom. Your faith will not be in my ability to communicate the message to you. Your faith will be in God who works powerfully in you. Yet, as we begin to look at this passage here that we're going to see this morning, verses 6 through 16, we're going to see Paul turn the tables a little bit here. You see, because this message we proclaim, the message of the cross, is not foolish. It's foolish to the world, but it's not foolish to those who are being saved. It is full of wisdom and power. But it is a wisdom and power that the world cannot perceive. The world cannot, will not look at this message and see wisdom or power. Now, I want to take a small detour here and talk about the idea of illumination because before we look at this text we need to look at how the spirit illumines God's word to us because why does the world not see the truth of the gospel why does a fair why do a fair number of unbelievers believe people are basically good and not sinful why does the cross the message of the cross seem foolish to the majority of people in the world. And the reason is, well, what would you say? What would be the reason why that's the case? Sin, right. Sin is the reason why people do not come to the cross. It's why they see the message of the gospel as foolish, why they look at people as not sinful, but basically good. It is sin. And one of the effects of sin, one of the effects of the fall, is what theologians call the noetic effect of the fall. Noetic, as the word is spelled, N-O-E-T-I-C. And it's, it's, a, it's a transliteration from the Greek word for mind. <clears throat> the noetic effects of the fall, the, no, the word comes from the Greek word for mind, noose, not Gary Noose or any of the nooses in town, but noose is in, that's a Greek word for mind. So the idea is that the, the fall affects man in all of his being, including his mind. Including his mind. Now, is this really a stretch to say that the fall affects the way we think? Is that really a stretch to say that? No, I don't think it's a stretch at all. Because we just looked at this verse. We looked at it before. And we're going to look at it again today. But verse 14. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they, <clears throat> for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. I, like I said, I've cited this verse many times, but it teaches that people in their natural fallen state 
cannot and do not understand the things of God. It is, it, they just, it just goes right over their head. It's, it's like many of my movie references to Mark Bailey goes right over his head. The natural man does not understand the things of the God, the, 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 the spirit of God because they just go right over his head. They are spiritually discerned. They are spiritually discerned. <clears throat> I'm going to go through this coffee a lot faster than I intend to. So this requires a work of the Holy Spirit, the work of God's Holy Spirit to illuminate the truth to believers or unbelievers. Because the Bible says elsewhere in Ephesians 4 that unbelievers have darkened minds. We have darkened minds and darkened understandings. So what, what do you need if you have a darkened mind? You need light. You need to be illumined. Think of it exactly as the word means. If unbelievers are in the dark, metaphorically speaking, they need the lights turned on, metaphorically speaking. What is the psalm? One of the best verses in the psalms that you often see printed at the beginning of Bibles where it says, your word is a what? Lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Right? I don't know where I'm going unless I have the light of God's word. I don't know where to put my feet unless I have the lamp of God's Word to show me the path in front of me. And the same goes for the natural man. He walks around in darkness. The problem is he doesn't realize he's in darkness. Right? If you've been in darkness your entire life, you don't realize you're in darkness. If you're sleeping in the middle of the night and you wake up, your eyes are pretty much accustomed to the dark in the room. And then someone turns on the light, you're like, wow. You know, first after you're blinded, but then once you recover, you realize, I didn't realize all these things were in this room. Right? I've just been stumbling around in the dark all my life, and now I can see there's a dresser. I don't want to bump my knee into that one anymore. There's the foot of my bed. I don't want to stub my toe anymore. Now I can walk around this in the light. Now, the Holy Spirit... Oh, I do have a movie reference here for you, Mark, but you probably don't know this one. National Treasure. Anybody see National Treasure? No? Okay. A few of us have. Okay. The Holy Spirit illumination is not like National Treasure... Where in that movie, they believe that there is a secret map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. But if you look on the back, you don't see it. But you have to have these special glasses that you put on and you can move the lenses. And then all of a sudden you see this map appear. It's not like that. Uh, Rather, it's like shining a light in the darkness so you could see what's actually there. So it's not revealing hidden things that aren't there unless you have special glasses on. It is light coming on so you could see what's actually there, but you couldn't see it before because it was in darkness. And that's why Paul says, the things of the Spirit of God are spiritually discerned, not through natural means. As I've said numerous times, fallen man's problem is moral. It is not intellectual. So with that out of the way, as we come to this passage here, Paul's main point is that what the world sees is foolish because they cannot discern it, because they cannot understand it, is really wisdom. But it is, again, a wisdom that the world cannot and does not discern. That's what we're going to see um, this morning. And then uh, it's broken, <clears throat> broken out into three points there, verses 6 through 8, 9 through 12, and then 13 through 16. So first let us look at the hidden wisdom of God in verses 6 through 8. 
So Paul begins the passage by indicating that he does, he does speak wisdom, not foolishness. In verse 6, however, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. And that word there, however, or if you have an ESV, you may say yet, uh, signals a contrast. And it connects us to what Apostle Paul said previously in verses 4 and 5 of the previous section, where he says there, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So even though Paul did not proclaim the gospel with persuasive words of human wisdom, he does not mean to convey the idea that the gospel is without wisdom. He's not saying that the gospel is some kind of gibberish or some kind of code language that you have to have the secret decoder ring from the box of cereal to decode. Okay? He's just saying it is not a wisdom of this age nor of the rulers of this age. In other words, it is not human wisdom or wisdom that has arrived at either by human reason or human observation. That's what Paul's saying. And whenever we see Paul use this phrase here, this age, this is a reference to something I may have mentioned before in context with Romans of Paul's two-age way of looking at the world. And this is really kind of a Jewish way of looking at the world because the Old Testament Jews would have thought of the world as this age and then the age to come. But for them, the age to come would have been the time of Messiah, the time of the kingdom, and all that stuff. Now with Jesus here, we see there's still this age and the age to come, but there's this overlap of the age to come has broken into this age. So you have what we also say, the already and the not yet. So believers are members of the kingdom in a spiritual sense, but not in a material or physical sense. We have all of the benefits of salvation applied to us, but not fully consummated in us. So this age, Paul describes in Galatians 1.4 as an evil age, and an age that is passing away. It basically represents everything that is temporal, everything that is natural, and everything that is of this world. That's this age. The age, to the, uh, the age to come is the opposite of all that. So whereas this age is temporal, the age to come is eternal. Whereas this age is natural, the age to come is spiritual. And whereas this age is of this world, the age to come is heavenly. So in truth, the wisdom Paul speaks of then is not of this world, Okay. It is not of this world. It is not of this age. But it is wisdom, he says, among those who are mature. In verse 6, we speak a wisdom among those who are mature. Now, he's not speaking of here as mature versus immature, right? As in, you know, I know how to act like an adult, as opposed to, I don't know how to act like an adult, okay? My wife is mature. I am immature, often, (laughs) No, but here the word Paul uses for mature that is translated mature is the Greek word teleos, which means complete or perfect or whole. 
Now, some have taken this word mature to mean sort of like a special category of believer, as opposed to the hoi polloi, you know, the, the leftovers of the believers. You've got the really spiritual ones, right? The really good ones. We're the mature ones. You are all just kind of like entry-level believers. You guys just, you know, you, you haven't really come to age yet. That's not what we're saying here. But it's something that would have appealed to the Corinthian mind, right? Oh, you're telling me that there's, you know, you're telling me that there's this, like, secret level of knowledge I can get to and I can become a mature Christian? Sign me up. That's what the Corinthians would have wanted. That's not what Paul is saying here. It should be understood as spiritual as opposed to carnal. We're going to see this, Lord willing, next week, and Lord willing, my voice will be better next week, too. But in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, Paul says, And brethren, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, babes in Christ. All right, so the carnal Christian is a babe in Christ, one who has not grown up yet. And that's what Paul's saying here. Mature is someone who is, in a sense, grown up. Um, in a sense, one who is, uh, I mean, we're all spiritual. All believers are spiritual. All believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And all believers are able to understand and perceive this wisdom as Paul speaks of here. But when he says mature, he's just saying you are really sort of, you know, to the mature, the ones who study the word, the ones who, who apply themselves to the word, the ones who, who don't give in to the way of the world and things like that. So here, this wisdom Paul speaks is not the wisdom of this world, but the wisdom of God, verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Now again, that phrase, wisdom of God, is just a reference to what we've been saying all along here, the message of the cross, the gospel, that's what it is. The wisdom of God is the gospel. And it is a message the world, as we saw before, sees as foolish. But Paul says it is not foolish. It is the wisdom of God. This message of the cross that the world looks at and laughs and trips over and scandalized by is the wisdom of God. Moreover, Paul calls this wisdom a mystery and the hidden wisdom of God. And what does he mean by that? Well, we've seen this word mystery before. He's not saying that the gospel is a whodunit. He's not saying that the gospel is like some, you know, Hercule Poirot novel or some Agatha Christie novel or anything like that. Mystery here is a very technical phrase that speaks of something that was <clears throat> once hidden and is now being revealed. And the message of the cross, while proclaimed in the Old Testament, was proclaimed and hidden in the types and the shadows of the Old Testament. So you look at all the people and all the figures and all the rituals of the Old Testament. You look at people like Moses. You look at people like David. You look at people like Elijah. In a sense, they're all types of Christ. They all point to Christ in some way, shape, or form. Moses being the one who delivers God's people, right? He's the one who saved them from slavery in Egypt and delivered them to the promised land, just as Jesus is doing for us now. 
You look at David. David is the great king, and Jesus is also the great king, the son of David. You look at Elijah the prophet, who spoke for God and performed great miracles. Jesus is also God's prophet, who comes and proclaims the word of God and works great miracles. You look at all the Old Testament religious practices and sacrifices and holy days, etc. All of these things shadow Christ and his ministry. Thus, the message of the cross, he says, is a hidden or concealed mystery. But with the coming of Jesus, then, what was now hidden is being made known, is being revealed, is no longer a mystery, is being revealed in this proclamation of the gospel message. But not only that, it's a wisdom that God has ordained before the ages for our glory. So the message of the cross is a wisdom that God has predetermined or foreordained or predestined, if you will. And God ordained before the ages, that is, before he created all things in eternity past, God has ordained this wisdom for our glory. In other words, the message of the gospel isn't some plan B, right? It's not like God made Adam in the garden and said, don't eat of that tree. And Adam said, okay, got it. God won't eat of the tree. And God's like, okay, good. And then Adam eats of the tree. And then God's like, I just told you not to eat of the tree. Didn't I tell you not to eat of the tree? And I was like, yep. And then why'd you do it? I don't know. Kind of like what kids say when you say, why did you do what I didn't tell you to do? I don't know. So now God's like, okay, plan B. All right, plan A didn't work. You couldn't get to heaven because you couldn't obey the darn tree thing. So now I have to go into plan B. That's not what has happened here. There is no plan B. He, he, the, the message of the gospel is not something that God whipped up on a Thursday because he was bored. Okay? The message of the gospel was always God's plan A. And it was always for our glory. And while this hidden wisdom of God was ordained for our glory, it was also something that the wise of this age did not know. Look at verse 8. This hidden mystery which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So how many of the rulers of this age knew the hidden wisdom of God? None. Zero, right? None of them did. And that phrase, the rulers of this age, corresponds to what Paul says in verse 26 of chapter 1. The wise, the mighty, and the noble, they are the rulers of this age, and they didn't know this wisdom. And how do we know they didn't know this wisdom? It's right there in the verse. If they'd known it, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus, right? That's the point. Jesus comes as the Son of God. Jesus comes as the Messiah. And if they had recognized that, they would not have crucified him. If the Romans and the Jewish religious leaders knew Jesus was the Son of God, would they have killed him? No. They killed Jesus precisely because they didn't believe his claims to be God's Son. Because they didn't believe he was the Messiah. Because they didn't believe he was a prophet sent by God. They thought he was, at least in the Jewish sense, they thought he was a Sabbath breaker, a demon-possessed Samaritan, as we've been learning through the Gospel of John, right? You have a demon. 
You are a liar. To the Romans, Jesus was just another Jewish rabble-rouser, just another one of, uh, another one of those guys. You know, stirring up the trouble in Judea. You know, we need to send some soldiers down and quash another rebellion. Okay, let's do it. Who's this Jesus guy? I don't know. Just, just get rid of him. To the Jews, Jesus was their biggest lawbreaker. Right? According, in, in their mind, Jesus broke every one of their laws and a very threat to their way of life. Either way, had they known the wisdom of God's hidden wisdom, if, they, if it had been revealed to them, they would not have crucified Jesus. They would not have crucified Jesus. And that is the key, right? As we look now to verses 9 through 12, this spirit or this, this wisdom has to be revealed by the Holy Spirit. Paul, as he likes to do, quotes often from the prophet Isaiah in verse 9. But he says, as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. This is a quote from Isaiah 64.4. And Paul adapts it to make his point here. He says, the wisdom of God, the message of the cross, is something that cannot and would not enter into the mind of man. No human wisdom could have thought of this. No human understanding could have come up with this story. No human science could discover it. And again, go back to what we've seen in previous lessons, right? The message of the cross is what? Begins with F. Foolish. The Greek mind thinks it's a joke. The Jewish mind is offended by it. The world values strength and wisdom. All of our stories glorify the individual, particularly the one who overcomes all odds to succeed. Look at every one of our books, every one of our stories, every one of our movies, almost all of them. The hero is one who succeeds by his own efforts or her own efforts, sometimes going and in, 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 in overcoming great odds and obstacles to get there. Every single one of our stories in some way is like that. And that's the story we like, right? I can do it. Even, even if there's all kinds of odds laid in front of me, I can get there. I may need a little help from time to time, but I can get there. That's the point. Yet here is this story of an obscure Jewish prophet, right? <clears throat> from some backwater region in Judea, Galilee, whose parentage is called into question because no one knows who his real father is. And he preaches a message of a coming kingdom in which the last will be first. He preaches a message in which the one who humbles himself, that one will be exalted. Who says, I must go to Jerusalem to die for weak and foolish people. That is the message Jesus preaches. That is the message that the world sees as foolish. This is not a story that the mind of man would have come up with. The mind of man, Jesus would have been some conquering hero. Maybe he would have been an obscure Jewish prophet, but he would have gathered a following and he may have overcome some odds, but he would have defeated the Romans. He would have kicked the Romans out and he would have established his kingdom and people would be, there's our hero. That's the kind of guy we like. Not some guy who says, I'm going to go die on a cross 
for sinners. What kind of story is that? It's not a story I like. That's foolish. Yet that is the wisdom that was revealed to Paul in verse 10. This wisdom that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man, God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit here is the agent of revelation. That sounds like a good name for a story. Agents of revelation. Starring the the Holy Spirit. The agent of revelation. You can make a sequel, 007. Ooh, seven, the number of perfection. There you go. See, now we're really cooking with gas here. The agent is the spirit of revelation. He is the spirit of illumination and the spirit of inspiration. We have the scriptures because of God the Holy Spirit. He has revealed them to us. He inspired the writers of the Bible to write those words perfectly. And then he illumines them to us who read these words so that we can understand them. And that second half there of verse 10 where he says, For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God, is meant to communicate that the reason why the Spirit is able to reveal to us the wisdom of God is because it is the Spirit is the only one who can search the mind of God and, and search out the deep things of God. This is one of the mysteries of the Trinity. The mind of God is known fully by the Holy Spirit who is one of the three persons of the Trinity. And Paul expresses this by way of an analogy in verse 11 where he says, For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. In other words, only you know what's in your heart. I mean, I, as a, as a human being, can understand other human beings. I can understand the motivations why people do the things they do. But I will never fully know the reasons why people do the things they do because that's in them. I can guess, I can speculate, but I don't know their minds. Only you can prevent force. No, sorry. Only you know your minds. Right? Only you know what's in your brain, what you're thinking, and why you do the things you do. And the same goes with God. Only the Spirit of God knows the mind of God and can then reveal those hidden truths to us. And the reason why Paul and the rest of us know this wisdom of God is because of the Holy Spirit, verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. In other words, we don't have this spirit of the world, the spirit of the age. If we did, we'd be way back at verse 9, right? Eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has anything entered into our hearts that would understand the story. But the Holy Spirit has been given to us for the very reason that we can know this wisdom of God. Now, we don't know the wisdom of God like the Spirit knows the wisdom of God because, guess what? We're not God, (laughs) Right? We have finite minds. We cannot understand fully the things of God, but we can know truly those things that have been revealed to us. 
So in a sense, what the Holy Spirit does is he kind of condescends to our level and speaks in words that we can understand like a, like a father or a mother speaks to their baby. So in little baby words so they can understand. We have been given the Spirit so that we can know the wisdom of God. But if you think about it, that's exactly, this makes perfect sense, right? We are the creature. God is what? He is the creator. And there's this gap between creature and creator. And the only way the creature can know anything is if the creator reveals it to us. Now he has done so in a general sense just by looking at the world. If you look at the world outside, if you look at creation, you ought to be able to at least understand that this did not come from an accident. This was not something that popped up out of nothing on a Tuesday a million, billion, trillion years ago. This was created by God. General revelation, which all people have, all people have access to, reveals that there is a creator. But God goes one step further. He says, look, you can look at the creation and you can see that there's a God and you can know that God is wise and smart and creative and powerful, but you'll never know that God is love or that God is gracious or that God is merciful unless I reveal that to you. How does he reveal that to us? It's not in general revelation. How does he reveal his love and mercy to us? Through the word, right? Through the scriptures. Through special revelation. Through the prophets, the apostles, and the scriptures, which we call special revelation. And all of this is a gracious act of God toward his people, toward his creatures, as he, again, condescends. The only way someone who is greater can communicate to someone who is lesser is if he communicates in their language. So he does so. He speaks to us in baby talk. And then in verses 13 through 16, we see that this revelation revealed by the Holy Spirit is imparted now through spiritual words. So this hidden wisdom of God revealed to us by the Spirit, and then we in turn impart this wisdom through spiritual words. Verse 13 these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but, with the whole, <clears throat> but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. You notice Paul, I mean, Paul keeps bringing this contrast here. Not with the wisdom of the world, but with the wisdom that the Spirit reveals. Not with the words of humans, human wisdom, but with the, word that the, the words that the Spirit reveals to us. And when Paul says in verse 13, these things... At the beginning, that's just referring back to the hidden wisdom of God spoken of in verse 7. And Paul is saying to his Corinthian readers here that he, or Apollos, or Peter, or anybody else, speak or impart this wisdom not with the teaching of human wisdom. What did Paul say all the way back in chapter 1, verse 17? Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. But how? Not with wisdom of words, lest I empty this message of its power. The power is not in the eloquence. The power is not in the way I structure the words in the page. The power is in the words in the, on the page. Right? That the Spirit takes these words and, and uses them to change our hearts. Heavenly wisdom 
cannot be imparted using earthly words or earthly techniques or earthly wisdom. You cannot communicate the, spirit, the, the wisdom of the age to come using the techniques or language of this age. That's all, Paul's whole point here. Now, obviously, we are using human language, right? I'm speaking to you in English, hopefully. And, you know, I may not be speaking to you in words that are completely intelligible because of the limitations of my throat right now. But I am using English to speak to you, to communicate these truths. So it can't mean that, you, that these words, you cannot use human words to, to, to communicate this message. It also doesn't mean that, human, that Christians have some kind of like secret code language that only the mature Christians know. You know, I speak in sort of like a sign language that only you know, Christians can understand so that the unbelieving world doesn't understand. But So what does Paul mean here? Well, again, I think what we're going to say here, see here is that in verse 14, in, in just a moment, that Paul is really emphasizing the spiritual over the natural, over the worldly, over the human. I mean, again, look at verse 13 and see how many times does Paul use the word spiritual in that verse? Yeah, so spirit or spiritual is used three times in that verse. In other words, as I said earlier, the human, the hidden wisdom of God, the message of the cross <clears throat> is imparted in words taught by the Spirit and through the Spirit interpreting these spiritual truths to spiritual people. So it is imparted using words taught by the Spirit through the Spirit interpreting these spiritual truths to spiritual people. So I use this word spirit or spiritual four times in that sentence there. In short, the Holy Spirit illumines God's truth to believers using words that they will understand. And now we come to the great antithesis in verse 14, which we've read many, many times before. But the natural man does not perceive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. We spoke about this verse earlier, and I've referenced it multiple times in the past, but here we see the great contrast or antithesis between what is spiritual and what is natural, what is of the age to come and what is of this age. Now, spiritual in this context does not mean immaterial, invisible, or ethereal. It's, like, it's not like I can't touch it. Uh, the age to come is spiritual in the sense that it is an age that is governed by the Spirit or is characterized by the Holy Spirit. And this age is not spiritual but natural in that it is governed by or characterized by the fall and by sin. So when we see the word spiritual, don't think it's invisible. Think of it as it is in reference to the Holy Spirit as opposed to what is natural, which is what is not of the Holy Spirit, what is of this world, of this age. So the natural man, he is a man or she is a woman of this age. And therefore he or she cannot and does not accept or receive the things of the Spirit of God. So what things? These are the things that are revealed by the Spirit. The hidden wisdom of God. 
Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. That's why they appear foolish to the natural person. So going back to what we saw a couple of weeks back in verses 18 through 25, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing. That is, <clears throat> that is unbelievers. That is natural people. People of this age. And thus it takes a work of the Spirit of God to illumine, to turn the lights on, right? To open your eyes, open your ears so that you can see and hear the words of Scripture and understand and understand this wisdom. It takes new birth. As John will say in John chapter 3, born from above or born again, born of the Holy Spirit. And you take new birth to make natural people into spiritual people. And in the rest of the passage here, Paul speaks about the benefits granted to spiritual people in verses 15 and 16. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Excuse me. The spiritual person is able to judge or discern all things. You remember again what we said a couple of weeks ago. What has human philosophy done to advance our knowledge of God? Or to advance our knowledge of the world? Or our knowledge of, of sin? What has human wisdom or human science done to advance these things? Nothing. Nothing. It may kind of catch the edges of it, but it never really penetrates to the center of it all. And science, for all its amazing benefits, can't get us to God. Nor can it cure sin. Science has not found a cure for sin. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm a big fan of science. I'm a big, I like using scientific things. You know, I like technology. I like all this stuff. It cannot show us God and it cannot give us a cure for sin. That's not what science is meant to do, really. But the spiritual person can judge all things because he or she has the mind of Christ given to him or her by the Holy Spirit. And not like we, not that we like the Spirit can know the depths of God. Again, remember, we're, we're the creature. But the Spirit does teach us spiritual truths. Thus we have the mind of Christ and are able to discern all things because we have the mind of Christ. Well, that, that brings us to the end here. Now, you know, looking at this passage, how does this help the church? Because again, Paul is speaking this in reference to divisions in the church. How does this cure the divisions in the church? Well, one thing to understand here is that divisions in the church are not spiritual. They are worldly. They are part of this age. It is the wisdom of this world that divides based on the reasons that the Corinthians were dividing on. Which teacher they liked. Which one they thought was better. Which one they thought was more eloquent, more powerful of a speaker. So divisions are worldly. But the gospel is not worldly. The gospel is otherworldly. The gospel is spiritual. So it comes and, and, and shows you. It's like, look, here's a message 
that your wise people cannot understand. Here's a message that your mighty people think is weak and foolish. Here's a message that takes the weak and foolish things of this world and turns them into spiritual people who can understand these truths. So the gospel is true wisdom from God, not the wisdom of this world which will lead you nowhere, at least eternally speaking, will not teach you how to overcome sin, will not teach you how to go from this age to the age to come. The wisdom of this world is not equipped for that. You need spiritual wisdom. You need heavenly wisdom. And that's how this helps the church. Well, next time, Lord willing, throat willing, (laughs) December 5th, we'll look at the first nine verses of chapter 3.